favorite authors, friends, and guests explore the simpler side of life. Here's your host, Amish fiction author, Tracy Fertikowski. Hey there, welcome to another episode of Buggy Talk. I'm your host, Tracy Fredikowski. Each week, I'll bring you the story behind the stories along with the storytellers. And this is podcast number 43. For this week's episode, we have Amish fiction author Mindy Steele. Mindy writes Amish romance peppered with just the right amount of humor, as well as engaging contemporary suspense, using rural America and its residents as her muse. Hello, Mindy, and thank you for joining us today. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. We're going to talk about the Butterfly Box, which is book two of your Miller Creek series. And I have to tell you that I read book one, which was To Catch a Hummingbird, and I absolutely loved it. So I'm really excited to read The Butterfly Box and to hear more about it. But before we do that, as you know, I've had you on the Buggy Talk before. Um, I like to sort of dig into um, my author's writing career. So do you mind if I ask you some very personal questions about um, your job as a writer? No, go right ahead. (laughs) All right. So we both know we're both been writing for a good long time now. We know how emotionally draining and um, sometimes stressful writing can be. Do you have any particular tips for maybe some of our aspiring authors that are listening to us? Oh, well, um, yeah, I would agree. Writing professionally is very draining and stressful. Um, And I've spoke to a few uh, classes, and I'm actually hosting a contest with our local elementary schools right now um, to help seek out and, and help promote aspiring writers. But for me, uh, what works for me is, I think, walking, (laughs) just locking myself out of my writing cave for a little while when, you know, when everything starts getting too heavy and you've been in there for too many hours. Um, And I like yoga. I I find that it's something that just about anyone can do, and it helps relieve stress. So, yeah, uh, if you want to be a writer, I would suggest finding, you know, that place to where you can just, you know, let all the stress, you know, lift so that you can get back to writing. Uh, Well, you know what? You are just going to laugh. I did not know those two things about you. Every other day I do yoga and every other day I go walk for three miles. And I'll tell you why. We sit a lot and it's hard on our spine. It's hard (laughs) on our tailbone. It's hard on our spine. So I read one time years ago that for every out. For every eight hours you sit to reverse the effects of being a, for being sitting so long, you have to walk for 30 minutes. So every 30 minutes you walk, you reverse the effects of sitting for eight hours. Well, now you taught me something I didn't know, so I might have to kick it up. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Now, I know it takes me about 40, 45 minutes to walk three miles, but, you know, I could stop at the 30 minutes, but, you know, I, you know, I park my car away. (laughs) I also find if you get, uh, now, sometimes I'll take my laptop and go into a different room of the house and just stand. And yeah, sitting, yeah, that's one of the downsides to being behind a computer all day, which I'm sure lots of people in different professions uh, do the same thing. But yeah, getting up, stretching, moving, 
Um, it helps the brain, helps the body. It's, it's mandatory. It's mandatory for this business. It certainly is. And I have a standing desk. So, you know, I try half of the day I'll sit, you know, usually when I come back from walking, I have to sit for a little while, but I, I switch back and forth between my um, standing desk and my regular desk. So, um, that was great information we gave people. I don't think they, I don't think they realize that, you know, the strain, yeah. you, you think that a writer really just strains their, their brain, but really our hands with carpal tunnel, our, our tailbones and our posture and our spine, it's because we sit all day. So that's, anyway, that's how Mindy and I take care of that. <laughs> that's how we do exactly, it. Exactly. Exactly. That's how we do it and it's working. <laughs> it is. It is. So I have to ask you, I know what I do for writer's block. And I will share that with you in a little bit. But tell me how you handle writer's block. Well, I've, I've been lucky. I've only had it happen a couple of times. But um, for writer's block, I find the best cure is reading. Um, I'm an avid reader uh, already. And every year I actually even share like my top five books that I've read throughout that previous year with all on all my social pages. But you know, we read to be inspired, to find adventure, and to learn new things. So I figure, you know, when you have writing blocks, what's better than to find your way back to where you're lost than just reading another author's book? Exactly, exactly. Now, I have to, I'll tell you what my reader, my reader, my handle, how I handle writer's block is the same way. I like to read. But if I'm in a writer's block, I can't read Amish fiction. I have to read something else because I don't want my my thoughts to be mixed up with the author that I'm reading. So um, I that often is, read. I, yeah. Do you agree? I cannot first person. I cannot read when somebody writes books in first person. And mm -hmm. I hate that because there are such great authors out there like that. But when I'm writing, it throws me off so <laughs> bad because really get into the story with that person and then you're over here trying to write a story with your person and yeah so at least I like to read from a third party point of view exactly you know I tried something different with my newest series and I had never done it before but my very first um like the uh, first part of the first chapter I do write it in the first person and that's the only part in the whole book everything else is in third person but I wanted to get inside these 10 women that I'm going to write about, I wanted to get, really get inside their head. So I really had to, it was a struggle for me at first. I really had to go and read up on writing in first person because I had never done that before. Um, but my readers absolutely loved it. But I don't write the whole book in first person because that would be difficult. But um, yeah, oh, yeah, amazing. It's hard to jump back and forth. <laughs> it is, it is, it is. So my next question is, in your opinion, what are the essentials of good writing or the essential elements of good writing? Well, like I mentioned before, I'd actually had a couple speaking engagements um, this past year, and one of them was at our local college of Moorhead State University. And um, to prepare for that, because I, I, mean, I had never spoke to a large number of young people at this point about writing and a career in writing before. So as I'm preparing for it, I created my five essentials for writing. They're probably <laughs> out there for everybody else. It's just what works for me and they seem to take it well. But the first um, that I think is a great essential to writing is that your idea is original and realistic. Um, 
I think that if readers can't see that, you know, your plot be impossible or um, something new and different, you know, not something somebody else has already wrote, I think it helps draw in more readers. The second is, is that reader going to want to read more about your side characters? I actually have a thing about side characters. And if you read any of my books, you will see that even my side characters, even though it's small and in the, you know, in the background, they have stories too. And I don't like getting just lost in my hero and heroine because I want you to know the people in their lives as well and what helps shape them as you're reading them. Um, the third thing is, the senses. I am a huge believer in when I write, I want to include all the five senses. You know, your sense of hearing, touching, seeing, smelling, tasting. If you cannot taste Hazel Miller's sweet rolls while reading, you know, to catch a hummingbird or the butterfly box, uh -huh. then I didn't do my job. And if you cannot just feel what, you know, Silas goes through when he realizes, you know, Lydia is someone important to him or just I don't know the, an Amish flower farm from Hallmark I mean there were so many parts of it that you could see these flower gardens or you could see Melinda attending to her you know garden and I just think that those are important the fourth thing I would say is writing heroes with flaws uh, all heroes have them we all have them uh, nobody wants to read a book with perfect heroes. Not everybody's skinny, blonde hair, blue eyed, and <laughs> got the best job in the world. Um, no, these are everyday people you're writing about because everyday people are reading it. So I am huge about flaws as well. And the fifth and final is I think you need to write what you know. Uh, and don't look at your number count. I think you need to the most important essential to writing is writing something you know. Do not write a revolutionary war novel when you are a make or contemporary. I actually started my writing career writing historical fiction. It's one of my favorite genres, but I'm just not as good at it. And living amongst the Amish, it came easy. And my agent was like, write what you know. And I knew what I was doing when I started writing Amish fiction. And it was a comfortable spot. It wasn't what I intended or what I planned on, but it worked for me. And I do believe never look at a number count when you start writing. Um, you can clean all that up later. You can add, you can cut, you can do whatever. But when you have a story, don't look at that number count. Just start writing until right. it's all on paper. Exactly. That first draft is the hardest part of writing is that very first draft. But once you get the draft down, then you can go back and, and clean it up. Those were absolutely wonderful. What insightful tips um, that you gave. I, I can imagine that um, our listeners are going to really love that. So thank you for sharing that. So my last question about your writing career is what comes first for you, the plot or the characters? <laughs> I really dreaded you asking. That. Oh, really? Um, I might be a little weird. Um, mine is the title. Um, <laughs> I know authors hate finding a perfect title. Um, I actually hate finding the perfect title and having a publisher change it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I don't plot the story or find my characters first. I always, I don't know how it works. I find a title. Something will inspire me and, you know, the tiniest thing. Um, I actually 
was having been inspired by a silly insurance commercial a couple times it was because hiking on the hillside I found some bones that I didn't know what they belonged to and another one I wrote a book because of a corny joke my Amish neighbor's daughter told me uh it's it's funny where you get your little inspirations at but I I always come up with the title first and then I then I start building a character a single character pace the floor and try to figure out how the two go together you know how will he or she correspond with this title and from there everything just starts fitting um and it's just you know hand you know pen to paper from that point my husband says it's just because I have a storytelling ability (laughs) and not that I'm just weird but I think he just likes to make me feel like I'm more normal (laughs) (laughs) well you are and you do have a wonderful way to tell a story. And, you know, I, as I was reading now, I'm going to talk a little bit about your first book to catch a hummingbird. While I was reading that, I kept waiting for you to introduce the hummingbird. When's the hummingbird coming? When's the hummingbird coming? So when I read the butterfly box, I'll be doing the same thing because I associate the title with the story. So if the title is going to tell me something, I want the story to reflect. Why did you name this book, the butterfly box? Where are the butterflies? So I look forward to that. Exactly. Exactly. exactly yes exactly. well I think you'll get it a little quicker this time uh, um, the butterfly boxes you know it'll start off completely different so I think you'll get to you know see the significance of the butterflies a little quicker oh good good I can't wait so that takes us right into talking about the butterfly box but before we do that I am going to set the scene a little bit, and I'm going to read your back matter about the butterfly box, and then we'll talk some more, okay? Okay. All right. The Butterfly Box by Mindy Steele. When the small town of Miller's Creek suffers great loss, one band of brothers and a pair of town matchmakers help breathe life back into the community. Penny Lapp thought life was done knocking her down, but when the earth shakes the ground beneath her, she knows life isn't finished toying with her yet. Everyone she has ever cared for is gone, now suffering from her own accident while being the sole caregiver of her mother, Penny must find a way to survive the storms God has given her. Giving up would be easier, but when a stranger from the north arrives and refuses to leave, she might just discover she has so much to fight for. Luke Milford came to Kentucky months ago for his cousin's funeral. Helping his family with their mounting losses, Luke finds himself drawn to his cousin's intended He has never met anyone so fragile, so in need of him. Penny Lapp needs more than a new roof, and Luke is determined to give her that before he must head back home. What was meant to be simply repaying an old debt for saving his life years ago has now brought him back to claim what captured his heart. That was perfect, Mindy. Um, I can't wait to hear more about it. Starting with, what was inspiration? for the butterfly box? Well, my inspiration for pretty much the whole Miller's Creek series um, actually stemmed from my husband and his family. Um, Not a lot of people know, but Mike's actually a Kentucky transplant. Most of his family and him have all, you know, come from West Virginia. And when he was a young boy, 
uh, all the men in the small town that he grew up in all worked in construction up there. And in April of 78, they had been building cooling towers for a large plant. And a crane had collapsed into the towers that all the men had been working on. Um, it was lifting up concrete as, you know, I guess the weight knocked it into the towers. And everything just sort of, sort of started unwrapping, unpeeling, and the concrete, the forms, the beams, the scaffolding, everything fell 166 feet, along with the 51 men who were on it. Um, I've listened for years stories uh, that could just tug at your heartstrings from his family members over this enormous loss. Uh, most of the men that were involved in this were actually family. They were all connected. Um, and all these women became widows and all these children became fatherless all because of this one act, which, you know, later on, anybody who wanted to research the Willow Island disaster would find, you know, was just a company trying to cut corners. But I, I tried to make the Miller's Creek series all center around a similar event. Uh, none of my characters or any of the events in this series even come close to the events of the Willow Island disaster. But I felt like something similar needed to be shared with the world. A story that's written about community because I'm very big about stories with community in it. Um, we kind of live in a time where accidents aren't as, as common as intentional tragedies, such as school and theater shootings or cars plowing into pedestrians. But I like to show how we all need each other. And it's just that simple. So I was inspired by the things that, you know, he told me, his family told me, and created something similar uh, to share with everybody about how a community of Amish and English together, you know, suffered great loss and how they heal from it. Well, I know that when I read um, To Catch a Hummingbird, I didn't see that coming, but you you introduced that tragedy to towards the end of the story, and um, you did a fine job with it. Well, thank you. You're welcome. So other than community, what do you think or what do you hope your readers will will take away from this story? Uh, well, I mean, it's a story of hope, um, how we really just should never stop reaching for it. Um, I have characters like Hazel and Rose, which were introduced in To Catch a Hummingbird. And they're, you know, two older, seasoned and wise women in the community. And while all these people, you know, are dealing with all this enormous loss and struggling, these women sort of take it upon themselves to help keep everybody looking forward. You know, they make it their mission to help everyone find peace and love and whatever they need. But considering they're the local matchmakers, love is kind of the biggest part of what Hazel does. Um, it's also a wonderful book about flaws because you will, you know, so many of these characters have flaws, but you won't realize until later on in the book how Penny, you know, discovers, um, finds some peace between her and her mother because of flaws. And it, I think it's good to see that sometimes our differences, you know, we need to look at each other, you know, for what someone's going through. Uh, walk in another person's shoes, I guess the old adage goes. Uh, it also has some very strong elements of faith that I hope that the readers can understand. Heroes uh, like Luke 
um, discovering, you know, he has a greater purpose in life. He didn't set out to go visit and help his family, but all of a sudden discover he was needed, you know, to help someone else like Penny. Um, and I guess all in all, it's just, you know, a matter of love. No matter what life throws at you, the people of Miller's Creek show that love does truly conquer all. It certainly does. Well, thank you for that. And, you know, I we haven't talked about it yet, but each one of your books um, of the Miller Creek series, the first one to catch a hummingbird, you introduced um, a scene with some hummingbirds. So tell us the butterfly box. What without giving us any too much away about the story, what can we look forward to about the butterfly box, that particular title? How are you going to work it into your story? Well, um, it, it won't be given away too much because I'm sure, you know, it's a plot that's used a lot. The fact that Luke actually uh, gifts Penny or makes something to gift Penny and it's to show, you know, his true feelings towards her. Unfortunately, um, all I can say is it doesn't go as planned, <laughs> but uh, readers are going to have to get the book to find out how that works. Exactly, exactly. So I have to tell you or ask you, did you find any challenges or did you face any challenges when you were writing the story? Uh, actually, I think The Butterfly Box was probably the hardest book I ever wrote, not just because of personal significance, but <laughs> you'll love this, Tracy. The original manuscript, it was written in two women's point of view. It wasn't a hero and a heroine story in the beginning. Um, you had Penny Lapp, uh, an Amish woman who had suffered a lot of losses. But you also had Avery Collins, who was an investigative reporter who shows up in the town um, to cover this disaster. Uh, my initial thought was just to write about two unlikely friends converging. Um, <clears throat> but after a few long meetings and with my agent, a few private discussions with myself, we decided to cut the book and keep it simply Amish um, to go along with, you know, Lydia and Silas's story of To Catch a Hummingbird. So even though, you know, Avery will show up in the story, I kind of gave her her own series that we're pitching now. But, yeah, I think the hardest thing is this was a first for me. I have never cut a book completely in half and then had to stitch it and bind it back together with, <laughs> oh with a really close deadline. Like I, it was all really fast. So it was, it was a big challenge for me to take out all these wonderful scenes and, and yeah, I tried to fill in everything and make it still a great story. Uh, well, hopefully you'll be able to use those scenes in, in your other book when you start talking about the, the reporter. So nothing's ever wasted when it comes to an author. If we pull a scene, we still tuck it away because it might show up some other place. Oh yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It, it, it will show up. <laughs> so Mindy, I have to ask you if you would be willing to share with us a little snippet of one of your favorite scenes, would you mind reading us just a little, little bit of one of the, one of your favorite scenes from the book? Oh, not at all. Um, I couldn't choose a favorite scene. Uh, I thought about it, and <laughs> I actually reached out to my street team, my early readers and reviewers, and they really, you know, like this one. So this is the one we're going to share with you okay. today. Okay, perfect, perfect. Go ahead. The floor is yours. Okay. And you, Luke, sucked in a breath. How did he become a target for this pistol? 
Danky for the roof. While we get Eliza to pull her own weight around here and Penny out of Penny's hair and all healed up, you'll be do doing more than fixing roofs. We all pull our own weight around here, youngie. The Lord makes use of us all or none profit, Hazel said. But what a determined woman, dramatic. That's what Hazel Miller was. And oddly, Luke liked it. He was also liking her ideas better by the minute, but tried not to seem too eager. The last thing he wanted was the local match meddler to get the wrong idea about him. This community is strained, I tell you. No men are to help out the women doing all they can. Well, you came here to help, Hazel paused. Did she want him to respond? Well, he wanted to help. And shamefully, he wasn't thinking of just a promise to Amos. Penny laugh was fragile, broken, and beautiful. Oh, she could argue with the mule just like the woman staring death rays at him right now. But Luke suspected only one of them would actually need him. First, Hazel lifted one finger. I don't want you staring at her face and making her feel. I would never, Luke said, insulted. Hazel didn't know him well enough to think so poorly of him. He won't be working for weeks. Doctor's orders, no matter how hard she begs. Well, Hazel was assigning him to the job. Luke felt a hot sweat come on. The bishop is tending to Eliza's needs financially, and the rest of us will see that she comes to her senses soon enough. But our penny needs to eat everything in sight. We'll make certain she's got plenty, but if you see her without a cookie or a fork of pie in her mouth, shove it in there. Hazel made a quick motion with her hand, demonstrating such. Oh, dear, Emma gasped next to them. Of course, Hazel was suggesting Luke spend time with Penny, who was unmarried, lived alone, and in the center of his uncle's farm. Because you will be around her most, I figure, Hazel narrowed her gaze. And Luke remained silent in it. Well, that porch needs fixing, and I'm cer certain if you use them daddy long legs and walk around a bit, you'll find a hundred other things needed fixed. Yeah, Luke really liked this forward-speaking baker. And wipe that smile off your face. You aren't going to a singing, and there will be no buggy rides. She aimed a short, chubby finger at him. You will conduct yourself like a decent and godly man with common sense on his shoulders. Luke considered himself decent, and his faith was absolute, so he let her continue. He has more than a broke leg and a few cuts to heal before you get ahead of yourself. He was speechless, and certainly his faith had reached at least three levels of red by that last comment. I, I, he stuttered, I relax. I see what the good Lord makes visible. You just do your job and he'll see to the rest. <laughs> you know what added to all of that, Mindy, is your Kentucky accent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was funny. And I loved the Daddy Long Lake comment. That, that made me snicker too. But really, you, uh, you made me feel the heart of what was going on there, mainly because you spoke it in your Kentucky accent, and these are Kentucky Amish, so it was, it was perfect. Thank you so much. That I really enjoyed that. Thank you. Thank you. I really don't like my accent. Oh, no, no. It, it added to the story. Oh, my goodness. I could just hear them discussing it, and, they, and if they're from Kentucky, they're going to have that Kentucky accent, so whether they're Amish or English, they're still going to have that Kentucky accent, so that was perfect. That was perfect. So, you know, um, you know that I like to 
to um, end my podcast with a funny little speed round where I ask just a series of questions that you can um, answer off the top of your head. So are you ready? (laughs) I guess. (laughs) First of all, where's Mike taking you for dinner tonight? (laughs) Where is he taking me to dinner tonight? Uh, Well, with the impending storm, I'm assuming I'm cooking dinner and we're staying home. Uh, Yeah. And I think we have a, chicken pot pie on the menu tonight well there you go you know I asked you that because I knew Mike was sitting right beside you (laughs) (laughs) I knew that okay Uh, next thing next thing um if you could go anywhere in the world where would it be oh oh (laughs) um uh, that would be a toss-up I would love to go back into Canada and through Alaska um I guess it's just been a lot of years and I never actually made it into Alaska. I've seen most of all the United States, but I would say, yeah, Alaska and going back into Canada a little bit would probably be something I'd like or back to Wyoming. Yeah, I don't think I'd come back. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. And my last question is what was the last movie you watched? Last movie, The Mountains Between Us, I watched two nights ago. Um, I cannot think of the author. <laughs> I, I'm sure a lot of the readers have heard of the movie, The Mountains Between Us. It, yeah, I love that movie. Well, if you were to ask me that question, the last movie I went to was with my granddaughter, and it was a cartoon called um, Sing Two. <laughs> so, <laughs> your movie sounds a lot more interesting than having to. Okay, if you talk going to a theater I just assumed you meant movie I don't go nowhere I I just like I'm content on the farm oh uh, there you go so yeah I know the very last movie I ever went out to see I it's been so far back I don't remember yeah I don't go to the movies um at all but my granddaughter really wanted to go see Sing 2 so when they were here at Christmas I took her to the movies to see Sing 2 and it was it, it hurt my brain <laughs> it hurt my brain <laughs> But she enjoyed it. We we shared some popcorn and we had a good time. So it was good. Well, thank you so much, Mindy, for spending time with us. And before we sign off, is there anything you'd like to tell us about some of your future projects? Uh, well, I did just turn in two new proposals to my agent. And we actually had another proposal we had just sent out. So we're pretty hopeful about those for the following year. Are they are um, they right Amish now, are they Amish fiction or are they contemporary? What are they? Uh, two of them are, and one of them is not. Okay. Uh, one of them is contemporary, something I wrote early on, and it's one of my favorite stories I ever wrote. And yeah, I'm I'm very hopeful about that series. Oh, good, good. And is there anything so you'd now, like to say to your readers? Well, first I wanted to say uh, right now because you were so nice to welcome me to your podcast. I am actually working on a new Hallmark project today. Oh. Uh, yes, I figured you would enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Readers really did fall in love with Belinda and Adam with the Amish Flower Farm. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them reached out to us and wanted to know more about the characters of Heavenly Indiana. And I won't go into much detail today until all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed. But my team and I all felt like, the readers were right. So Heavenly needs more stories. So we're working on those now. 
Oh, people who read the, the Flower Farm will certainly enjoy that news. So thanks for sharing that. So what would you like to say to your readers before we sign off? Oh, I would love to thank them. Thank you, readers and supporters. Um, this last year was my first year out. It was crazy. It was overwhelming. And I met so many of you through social media or in person. It, it was wonderful. And it was wonderful because of you. I never imagined that I would have been received so great. And as long as you all keep reading, I'll keep writing. Oh, there you go. That's how I feel, too. And you you are such a joy to be around. I can't imagine anyone not just falling in love with you when they meet you. You have a, a very um, jolly personality. Um, we love listening to your Kentucky accent, even though you're not too <laughs> fond of it. But we love it. So thank you so much, for, Mindy, for joining us. And that wraps up this episode. I encourage you all to visit my website at tracyfredikowski.com to see a complete list of some of your favorite Amish fiction authors and their podcasts, along with the great books they add to the Amish landscape.